You're listening to the Australian Water Association podcast series. My name is Joe Taranto and joining me is Abigail Morrow, water quality scientist at Hunter Water Corporation. And we're discussing thermophilic amoeba. Welcome, Abigail. Thanks. Tell me about uh, your experience back in 2017 at Hunter Water. What triggered concern about this thing called thermophilic amoeba? Yeah, so back in February 2017, we did our routine annual monitoring for thermophilic amoeba. Um, And for the first time in our monitoring history, I guess, um, we actually got a detection of thermophilic amoeba in the treated drinking water, so in the distribution system. Was that concerning? Uh, it it was a bit of a concern. It was very out of the ordinary for us. So we've been monitoring for amoeba, both mesophilic and thermophilic, um, for 20 or 25 years. And we'd never seen uh, any detections of the thermophiles in the distribution system before. So it was noteworthy. And it um, did get everyone a bit excited and uh, resulted in you know, discussions with our, with our health regulator. And then as a result, we increased the chlorine in the network and we, and we did follow up sampling as well. Tell us a little bit about the thermophilic amoeba. What is it? Yeah, so thermophilic amoeba are free living um, organisms. So they're environmental organisms, which means they don't have to be inside an animal or a human host in order to replicate. Um, So they're present in the environment. They like to live in warm, fresh water and soils. And so of the thermophilic amoeba group, under that group, a bit of taxonomy for the microfans, under that broader group, there's Neglaria, which is the genus level. And then under that, there's Neglaria fowleri. So that's the species of Neglaria, which is the only one that's really of concern because it's the only one that can cause infection in humans. If it does cause an infection, it results in, uh, another tongue twister, primary amoebic meningoencephalitis, also called PAM. Um, But the thing with PAM is that If Neglaria fowleri is present in the drinking water and you drink a glass of water, it's fine. If it's present in a water body and you jump into it or you fall into it and the water is forced up your nose into the nasal passage, um, that's the way that Neglaria can ultimately end up in the brain and it actually feeds on brain tissue, which is why it's also, uh, I don't know about affectionately, but commonly called the brain-eating amoeba. Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure what title is worse, phalari or brain-eating amoeba. Um, so it's pretty nasty stuff. Um, is it common? So Neglaria phalari is apparently pretty common in the environment um, and apparently humans uh, often come into contact with this organism, but actual infections are really, really rare. So, for example, I'm not sure about the whole of Australia data, but... Um, in the United States, there's been you know, 145 cases reported since 1962, which is a small number. The thing that makes it um, a bit scary, I guess, is that it's nearly always fatal. So of those 145 infections, maybe 140 of them actually died as a result. 
Okay, so it's a concerning um, prospect to have this in a water supply, but there seems to be some contention about the best way to manage this, is that, or the best way to monitor this moving forward? Yeah, so the the contention or the knowledge gap is probably around where is it, um, because in Australia there have been cases in New South Wales, Queensland, Western Australia and South Australia. Um, but some of the water utilities have a lot of experience with Naglaria fowleri and they've had big issues with um, their really long pipelines being colonised by Naglaria and then it's quite difficult to get rid of it. And then there's another sort of section of the water industry which probably knows very little about whether Naglaria is in their system or not. Um, so a lot of utilities probably don't do any monitoring for thermophilic amoeba, or if they do, maybe not very much. Um, at Hunter Water, we do monitor it and we do do it every year, but we only do it once a year in the summer season, which is the period of elevated risk because these things like to grow at sort of 25 to 40 degrees, um, but it's not exactly an exhaustive monitoring program that we do. So has the management or monitoring changed since 2017 at Hunter Water now? Yeah, so as a result of that one-off detection of thermophilic amoeba, which was found not to be Naglaria fowleri, in fact it was found not even to be Naglaria, so it was some kind of thermophilic amoeba, it wasn't speciated, so it wasn't identified, but um, Naglaria fowleri was ruled out. Um, but as a result of that, we increased the frequency of monitoring in the distribution system for temperature, so water temperature in the network, and chlorine residual. And the reason for that is that uh, the Australian Drinking Water Guidelines say that any water supply which exceeds 30 degrees seasonally um, or is continuously above 25 degrees is at risk of um, Naglaria fowleri. So those conditions are conducive to its survival and growth. What would you say to other organisations who are potentially looking at their monitoring programs um, or, or have concern about their potential risk? How, how do they make the judgment call about what's, what's required when it comes to obviously quite a rare occurrence but potentially very serious outcomes? Yeah, well, with our increased temperature and chlorine residual monitoring, we found that um, conditions in our network are conducive to the survival and proliferation of Naglaria fowleri if it is introduced to the system. Um, so I guess that's an important first step. We have the conditions that this organism likes to grow in. Uh, however, our, our actual amoeba monitoring program, um, we've never found Naglaria let alone finding Naglaria fowleri in the distribution system. So I guess um, the issue then is, okay, so what is our risk? We have the conditions, but we don't have the organism. We haven't had the organism as far as we're aware. That doesn't mean we won't find it next summer or in five years time. And so then I guess it comes down to how do you manage that risk? Um, and the options there are really, uh, you know, the Australian Drink Water Guidelines recommends that um, a chlorine residual of 0.5 milligrams per litre is sufficient to control Naglaria fowleri, 
but that residual needs to persist throughout your whole distribution system continuously because the other thing about Nagleria fowleri is that it has a few different life stages and when um, under certain environmental conditions it forms a cyst which is very um, robust and resilient so it can actually survive in the distribution system in the sediments or in the biofilms if that disinfection residual is not continuous. So the importance of regulators and, and partners for advice on this obviously pretty high. What would you recommend to other agencies and, and utility providers? Yeah, there definitely needs to be a discussion with um, the health regulator. Uh, so we have had quite a few conversations with New South Wales Health about our, um, I guess, response. So the response to that one-off detection of thermophilic amoeba, which as well as increasing our monitoring, um, we also came up with a bit of a um, response plan whereby for the sites in the network where we did find um, temperatures over 30 degrees and a chlorine residual that was less than 0.5 milligrams per litre, uh, we decided that for the last summer, so the summer just gone, we would increase our chlorine target in the network from 0.2 milligrams per litre to 0.5 milligrams per litre. And the way we achieved that was through a combination of increasing the chlorine dose at the treatment plant, increasing the dose at chlorinators and, and or manual tablet dosing of chlorine into reservoirs. So we came up with that approach um, in conjunction with New South Wales Health and so we rolled that out for the summer just gone and it was effective in that the sites where we did see higher temperatures and lower chlor chlorine residual, we um, implemented that response and we did see increased chlorine residuals as a result, so that was a good thing. But the other thing to remember is that depending on where in the network you're trying to target 0.5 milligrams per litre, it can be quite complicated. And it can also mean um, for some zones, we might have to expose a large number of customers to a much higher chlorine dose than they're used to receiving in order for that chlorine to last to the end of that zone. So that's both um, logistically challenging and not ideal to be exposing customers to, the, to those higher chlorine levels unless you really need to, which comes back to the understanding the risk. Certainly a risk management challenge there for all our providers. We've been talking to Abigail Morrow, who is the water quality scientist at Hunter Water Corporation. Thanks for your time. Thank you.